Two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes, everybody. Two minutes. Yes. Stay classy, my friends. Good morning, everyone. We are so excited that you're here today. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Uh, whether you are here in person or online, we are so glad that you are here. And it is a really good day to praise the Lord. He is a still on the throne. He is the one who is in, th is in authority. And we are so thankful for our Savior, aren't you? Amen. So would you please stand with us as we praise the Lord? <clears throat> Thank you. 
little bit of a change to the schedule this morning. We're going to have a video in a moment, but not quite yet. I just got word um, that one of our attendees, uh, Gary Webb's daughter, 40 years old, uh, I know she had a stroke a couple of days ago and requested prayer on the, on the list, but she's taken a turn for the worse and uh, may not make it this morning. So the family is on the way to the hospital. So this is the Webb family, Gary uh, Webb. And the daughter's name is Vanessa. So I'd like for us to right now have a word of prayer on their behalf. Father, I can't imagine what Gary's going through right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would be his comforter. She would come alongside him with your all-powerful arms and shoulders. You would draw him close to you and that you would catch his tears. I pray, God, for Vanessa. Remember when she was born, and God, remember when she went to school there at our church, and uh, Lord, now a mom, a young wife, and I pray your blessings upon her and that your will would be done. We know that you are a God who heals because we've been talking about that for the last several weeks and months, and we've known that forever, but uh, Lord, we know it's not always your will to heal people, so we we pray about this matter as we have so many other matters lately. Uh, what we would like is for you to heal her, but not our will, but yours be done, God. And we know that for the child of God, the ultimate healing is to be in your presence. And so, Father, we pray your blessings upon them and upon especially uh, Vanessa. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and be seated? This is a very special day for a lot of reasons. This is the day we celebrate uh, this Wednesday, which is Veterans Day. So we do have a video we want you to watch right now. I'm so thankful to be able to pastor in the military community. 
How many of you are veterans having served the United States Army? Would you stand, please? U.S. Army. All right. Let's give them a hand. Appreciate so much your serving. How many served in the Air Force, United States Air Force, as a veteran? Anyone here? So we can say tacky things about the Air Force and we're okay today. <laughs> How many were United States Marines? All right. Yes, thank you so much for your service. Appreciate it. Anybody here serve in the Coast Guard? Veteran of the Coast Guard. How about, let me see, there's something else. United States Navy. How many served and are veterans of the United States Navy? Would you stand right now? Yeah. God bless you. Thank you all for serving. We appreciate you. We appreciate the price that you have paid uh, with your life to, to serve a nation, and we thank you for your service. And uh, I love the part in the video, as I was choosing videos, I love the part about, and those who were at home waiting for him. And, because you know what? It's not just the veteran that pays the price. It's, it's the family as well. And so uh, thank you, families who uh, have striven through difficult times uh, because you have a loved one who served in the military. We appreciate it so much. Welcome, Facebook. Welcome, YouTube. Welcome, all of you here at First Baptist Church. And Wednesday is Veterans Day, so be sure to remember that. Next Sunday, our chronological Bible study of the New Testament continues at 845 every Sunday morning right over in the adult department. Everyone, anyone is invited to that. Hope you'll be able to attend. Next week, we're going to do something kind of different. In our, we're wrapping up the study on miracles uh, and we're going to be having a variety of healings that we're going to talk about next week. A variety of healings, 10 a.m., Lord willing, that's what we're going to do. And if you are a first-time guest, uh, in the seat backs, there are, uh, there's a guest card. We'd like to have you fill that out. And uh, then what do you do with it once you fill it out? Well, uh, in the very back, we have an offering box by the left side of the, of the back door. I guess it's the front door. And uh, just go ahead and turn in your visitor card. We're so appreciative of the fact that you've come to be with us today and hope that you're blessed by being at First Baptist Church. Uh, but be sure to fill those out and drop those off. And then if anyone here needs something, say something because we're here to help and to serve and do what we can for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a bulletin that I typed out. And of course, this was typed several days ago. Now what? That's the name of it. I as I type this bulletin, it's the day after a long night. It was actually the day after election day. So far, the election results for the office of president of the United States have not been determined. Still hasn't been. Uh, it may be decided by the time I share this with you, or it might not be. I lived through 19 presidential elections. I was too young to remember the first two, but I remember the third. I specifically remember the campaign slogan, I like Ike. Since that election, Bo, you remember that? Okay, just checking. <clears throat> Since Chuck is not here, I, go, I defer to, okay. Since that election, countless times we have heard this, and, and see if, you, if this resonates with anyone. This is the most important election in our history. And either way the election goes, some have made and will continue to make dire predictions of the impending end of our country as we know it. I have some good news for you. No one has the power to thwart God's almighty plan. No party has the power to thwart God's almighty plan. He is the one who places kings and presidents in office. 
Daniel 2.21 says he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Whether or not our candidate is in the pleasure, whether or not our, our candidate wins is at the pleasure of Almighty God. He and he alone is sovereign. We can put men of good character in power, and he can allow men of bad character to attain power for the purpose of executing his judgments. He did so with Israel. He may well do so with the United States of America. For the most part, the awful predictions of what was said would happen in past elections did not come to pass. Perhaps the same will be true this time. If not, and if this is the end of America as we know it, then our redemption is all that much closer. Until then, remember the words of Paul. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Romans 13 is still true, still in the Bible. And any power that's allowed to be in power is allowed to be there by God Almighty. And so uh, we're to submit to that power unless... And until the point when they contradict God's clear commands, then we're to be a Daniel and take a stand for what's right, what's biblical, and what God would have us to stand for and be willing to pay the price like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if necessary. But other than that, we're to obey the powers that God allows us because there is no power except of God. Amen? Amen. Okay, take a big breath. Ah, doesn't that feel good, huh? God is still God. Aren't you glad? Amen. Let's stand together and worship him together.
Father, we thank you so much that we have your arms to rush into, and we pray that you would hold, again, the Webb family tight and close to you today. Bless Vanessa, bless her husband, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated, and before we get to the Children's Minute message, all of the adults who are going to be in the auditorium and those watching online, if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third Gospel of the New Testament, third book of the New Testament, and it's Luke chapter 5. We're going to be preaching on the miracle of catching fish. You say, well, that sounds like a goofy title. What's so miraculous about catching fish? If you grew up where I grew up, fishing in waters that had been polluted by chemicals and were basically dead lakes and dead streams and sat on a bank in the sun for hours with a pole in the water with a poor dying worm on the hook and nothing else ever happening, you would know why I would say the miracle of catching fish. But the Bible talks about a couple of miracles that way, so we're going to talk about it in just a few moments, Luke chapter 5. But before that, for the boys and girls who are here in the auditorium, all the boys and girls in the auditorium, I got a little message for every boy and girl here and those that are watching online, uh, benefits of being part of God's family. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on how you can become part of God's family. Does anybody remember how you become part of God's family? Any boys and girls in the auditorium here remember how you become part of God's family? Anybody want to volunteer an answer? Huh? Any adults know how you can become part of God's family? You're born into the family. Just like you're born in your physical family, you can be born into God's family. We call it being saved, being born again, okay? Born a second time. First time physical, second time spiritual. That's one way. There's another way you can become part of God's family besides being born in the family. Now, somebody, boy and girl, otherwise I'm going to feel like an abject failure in that I didn't teach you well enough two weeks ago. How can you become part of God's family if you're not born into the family? How can you become? Yes, I'm sorry? Yeah, that's, that's being born again. Noah, come on, help me out here. Noah? No? Yes. Adopted into the family. Yay! That's how you become part of God's family. Now, when you become part of God's family by adoption or by being born again into the family of God, all of a sudden the benefits of being part of God's family are forever and ever amazing and eternal. For example, it means when we leave this life, we go to a place called heaven. And heaven's an amazing place where there are no tears, there are no sorrow, there are no elections, praise the Lord. <laughs> there's no sickness, there's no hatred, there's no divisiveness, there's no sin ever, 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 but only there is love and joy and peace and hope and health and happiness and provision forever and ever. What a wonderful place that's going to be. All of God's children will be forever in that place. But there are benefits to being part of God's family, boys and girls, right now, today. And one of those benefits is found in Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, we've been made right with God in God's sight by faith, and we have peace with God. This world is not a very peaceful place. There are wars being fought, physical, literal wars all over the world. But there are other kinds of mental wars and spiritual wars that are going on also. And one of the things the devil will try to do is to make you very, very unhappy, very, very uneasy. 
He'll try to rob your peace and take your peace away. So it's hard to sleep at night and it's hard to think about things because you're worried about so many things. That's not what God has for you. God promises peace that passes all understanding. Peace that the world doesn't know anything about. And it's a wonderful thing. And so uh, the Bible tells us that you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. So one of the joys of heaven can be yours now, even way before you get to heaven. And that is having the peace of God in your heart. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, God is always going to love you. God is always going to take care of you. God is always going to be there for you. So boys and girls, remember that. And one more thing, boys and girls, help your moms and dads who are having trouble because of the election results, because if they don't have a lot of peace, right, you be sure to remind them of this, okay? (laughs) Teach them the word of God. All right. In Luke chapter 5, fishing Uh, Probably you either hate it or you love it, one or the other, probably. Uh, And a lot of people around here love it. I know that. Uh, I told you about the lakes and streams where I was brought up, unfortunately, weren't very uh, bountiful with fish. And out here, you said, well, hey, we've got an ocean preacher right here and a bay right over here. Why don't you enjoy that? Well, I have found out that somewhere, somewhere when you get out in the bay, there's somewhere there's a dotted line. And, and, and on this side of the dotted line, there's the bay. And on this side of the dotted line, there's the ocean. And once I cross that dotted line, it's on a map. Check it out. And once I cross that dotted line, uh, as a 50-50 chance, I get seasick. <laughs> now, when I do get seasick, it's no fun. When I don't get seasick, I'm thinking I might get seasick, and it's no fun. So one way, it's, on the left hand, it's no fun. On the right hand, it's no fun. So uh, I'd rather go shooting or something like that. So on the other hand, Pat loves fishing. She grew up uh, with her grandparents down in Arkansas, Texarkana area. They'd go out into the bayous and streams and so on, and they'd catch actual fish with using actual worms and night crawlers and things like that. And so she loved to fish. So evidently did some of the disciples because in Luke chapter 5, we learn about the fact that they were going to catch a great draft of fish. And so for, the, for your consideration, here are these miracles of catching fish. And the first one is the first draft of fish. There are actually two. This is the first one. And this one's found in Luke's gospel. And this one, um, I think significantly, is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, the second draft of fishes, miraculous catches, we're going to find out, were at the end of his ministry. In fact, after he had been resurrected. So there are some similarities. They catch a lot of fish. There are some contrasts, and we'll go over those in just a moment. But on this first draft of fishes, in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it came to pass that as the people pressed down upon him, they crowded all around him to hear the word of God, and literally it meant the word from God. To hear the word, this is, this is the word of God. It is the word from God. These are not parachute cords. Uh, it wasn't let down from heaven with parachute, but it came to old, men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit and wrote exactly what God wanted to write. So it was the word from God and the word of God. And, and it was, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And this is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. By the way, Galilee had been prophesied in the book of Isaiah, as a place where the Messiah would frequent. And in fact, Jesus did frequent that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, 2, if you want to check that out. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, 
But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. This is Simon Peter. Simon becomes the focus of Luke chapter 5. And he prayed him or asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land. Then we see the teaching in verse 3, the second part of that verse. He sat down in the boat, literally, and he taught the people out of the ship. Pat and I have actually been to this part of, uh, of the Sea of, of Galilee. We've uh, had the privilege of being there. And, and by being in the water and on a ship right close to shore, it was kind of a natural amphitheater with the land kind of going up uh, from that, that, uh, that little ship, that little boat that was there. And so uh, Simon's boat literally became a sacred aquatic pulpit. Uh, as, as Jesus began teaching. Then we see in verse 4, the fishing. And when he had left off speaking, he got through uh, preaching and teaching. He said unto Simon, let out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Notice, plural. Let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. Now, uh, Luke uses the word for master here that the other, uh, the other writers of the Gospels don't use. It's epistates, which, which means master, only used by Luke. And he says, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, I find this humorous. I don't know. Maybe it's my warped sense of humor. But here, Jesus is saying, Peter, uh, Simon, I want you to go out. I want you to let down your nets for a, big, for a draft of fish. And Peter was saying, basically, uh, now, master, um, you are a carpenter's son, I am a fisherman and a fisherman's son, and night is the time when you catch fish, and daytime not so much. However, to appease you, um, because I have respect for you, I'm going to go ahead and let down uh, the net, singular. Did you notice? Jesus said let down the nets, plural, Simon says, I'll humor you, master. I'll let down a net. Now we see the miracle in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their net, their single net, their one net, broke. And by the way, the miracle here was that the shoal of fish appeared where Jesus directed them to appear. Jesus is the sea lord, as well as the ultimate landlord. He is Lord over the sea. He is Lord over the land. He is Lord over the sky. He is Lord over the universe. He is the Lord of all. And this was uh, this catching of this multitude of fish perhaps was a foreshadowing of what would happen with humanity and there would be a great draft of people who would come to know Christ. And so this one boat with this one net full of fish so much it began to break the nets. And, and, and so they beckoned under their partners in verse 7, which were in the other boat, that they would come and help them. And they came and they filled both ships so that they began to sink. You see, this is a miracle of catching fish. This is not your normal, oh, we got a few good ones, we'll throw back the bad ones. Oh, uh, well, we got a couple, we can, we'll be able to eat a meal or two out of it. This was so many fish that it began breaking the net and began sinking not just one, but two of these fishermen's little boats. And so uh, we see in verses 8 and 9 the acknowledgement of, of holiness and sinfulness. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And by the way, one day, every, one day soon, perhaps, every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess. Guess what? President Trump will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Vice President Mike Pence will, get, will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Um, Joe Biden will confess that, and so will Kamala Harris confess. And every other American, every other person of every other nationality will all bow before Christ and confess him as the one and only Savior of the entire world. And so he did this. Simon Peter bowed down before Jesus saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This was an idiom. It was a figure of speech. He wasn't saying literally, Lord, leave me alone. He, it was an, a figure of speech, meaning, uh, Lord, I am such a sinner, I am unworthy to be in your presence. I am unholy, I am ungodly, I doubted, I didn't do as you commanded, and so, uh, Lord, please depart from me. He, he was astonished, the Bible says. Uh, he was literally encircled or seized by what he had just witnessed. He was amazed, he was beside himself. Lord, depart from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And all that were with him at the draft of fishes which he had taken, they were amazed. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. Now, how did Jesus respond to that? Uh, Simon Peter recognizing he's an unholy uh, individual, that he's, he's defective, he's sinful. And, and so what happens? In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, fear not, don't be afraid of being in my presence. Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Thou shalt catch people. Hey, I had a tie at one time, said fishers of men, and had this verse on it, you know. Uh, we're to be fishers of men. And it's a metaphor, obviously, not to be taken beyond the initial idea of catching people by pulling them out of the depths of sin. Going out where the, the oceans were type of the world and going out and pulling in the nets and harvesting people, bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what does that involve? Look at the surrender in verse 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Those cleaving to him must also allow his leading and act according to his example. They must follow his leading and act according to his example. They got to become like him. So we, we leave behind the old and take upon us the new. We become a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. We still look the same, but we've got a different heart, as it were. And so the, the constant stress is laid by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the need for self-denial and taking up our cross daily. And how many of us really take up our cross daily? How many of us wake up in the morning and say, Lord, today I, I will bear the cross that you give to me. I, I will bear it with your help. I will bear it with your guidance. Today I, I give myself. What was the cross good for? It was an instrument of execution. So Paul says to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How many, do we, how many times do we really mean that? We maybe say it ever so often, but how many times do we really, I am dead in Christ. By the way, we're raised in him as well. When he rose from the dead, he gave us hope for our future resurrection, but we are raised in him. So, uh, so we, we are to, we're to fellowship with him. We're to fellowship with people. We're to, to deny ourselves. We're to share in his sufferings. 
Not only inwardly, but if necessary, outwardly. And folks, if there is a fundamental change in America under whatever administration that leads us into some kind of communism or socialism or some other dictatorship or uh, some, uh, something ungodly, uh, whatever, guess what? God is still God. And maybe it's our turn to, to suffer for the cross of Christ. <clears throat> maybe it's our turn to take a stand. And to follow him, because following Jesus costs something. It costs them their boats. It costs them their nets. It costs them their occupations. It costs them fish. (laughs) As far as I know, they left two boatloads of fish there when they walked away. Somebody made out okay that day. And it later on costs them their lives, according to tradition. According to tradition, the disciples paid with their lives for the privilege of following Christ. Is that something we're willing to do if necessary? I would hope so. I've asked myself this question many, many times, especially in the last few months. I've asked myself, what if it comes to that? Well, you know, I mean, in March, uh, shut down. Uh, maybe we'll be shut down again this next week. Who knows? Maybe, I mean, at what point do we say we're to preach the gospel, we're to assemble ourselves, <clears throat> we're to, we're, I mean, Are we willing to pay a price for our faith? And we got to be sure that we're not just subscribing to preferences, that we have our convictions laid out and we're following the convictions according to the Word of God. But it costs something to serve the Lord. First draft of fishes, that's the way. Second draft of fishes, this is a different one. This is all the way in the back of John's Gospel, chapter 21. First draft of fishes was at the beginning of his ministry. The second draft of fishes was at the end, after he had already been crucified, buried, and after he rose again. In fact, it starts out in verse 1, after these things. After what things? After his appearances over a period of several days to several different uh, individuals and groups of people. So after those things, after he had been raised from the dead and had appeared to a lot of his disciples and, uh, and so on, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples, revealed himself to them at the Sea of Tiberias. Some of you might be wondering, where's the, where's the Sea of Tiberias? It's also called the Sea of Galilee. Tiberius was the Roman name. They were under Roman occupation. So it was the Sea of Tiberius, and it's the Sea of Galilee, as commonly known. It's also called the Sea of Gennesaret by those of Jesus' day. And in the Old Testament, it was called the Sea of Chinoeth. So it's got four different names, at least, in the Word of God. Same body of water. And so uh, he was revealing himself to his disciples, to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberius, And on this wise he showed himself. So we see the disciples in verse 2. They were together, and he names who was there. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, that'd be two more, and two of his other disciples. So there were seven disciples promised present at this point in time. And we see their decision in verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, we go with you also. Now here, okay, I remember the, one of the first times I heard anybody preach on this. I heard a preacher preaching about, you know, Simon Peter just cursed and denied the Lord three times. And so he's just going to chuck it all and he's going to go off. And I'm going to go fishing. I'm tired of this whole mess. I'm out of here. Uh, don't bother me. I'll be out on the boat. 
he said to his wife, uh, I, I go fishing. And then the disciples said, yeah, we're going to go too. But that's not really necessarily what happened here at all. Some say he returned to fishing because their leader was now dead. Others say, uh, well, the disciples still had to eat, and so he went out fishing to get some food. Others remark on the fact that rabbis often had uh, another uh, occupation on which to fall back on in difficult times. You remember uh, Paul was a tent maker, right? And so Paul would, would earn his way by, he was, he was bivocational. He would work, sell, work repairing tents, selling tents, and then he would also um, preach the gospel and teach the word of God. So uh, they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. They decided to go fishing, and that night they caught nothing. And verse 3 ends with the Johannian notation of, of experiences at night. Um, in other words, in the Gospel of John, where this is found, John chapter 21, there are other instances that took place at night. Now, without a show of hands, does everything seem worse to you at night than it does in the daylight? Because it does me. Sometimes, and I know preachers aren't supposed to worry, right? I know preachers aren't supposed to, but sometimes I get kind of overwrought. You worry, I get concerned. That's the difference. It's okay to be concerned. And I just now sinned. So uh, <clears throat> sometimes at night, something seems just beyond the ability to overcome it, overwhelming. And, and I mean, the Bible talks about night terrors, right? I think Job talked about that, night terrors. And then the sun comes up and you're like, what was that all about? There are experiences at night in the Gospel of John. Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. That wasn't a bad thing. He came to Jesus, but he did so by night. Judas left the disciples at night to go betray Christ into the hands of the Jews. That was not good. The resurrection morning, it was still dark uh, early in that morning before Christ rose from the grave, and that was certainly a sad time for everybody. There was the gathering of the disciples on the first day in the evening, and the doors shut for fear of persecution uh, for the, from those without. And so night and darkness are very symbolic in, God, in John's gospel. And the dark is not a good thing. The dark speaks of evil. And dark, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But in the morning, things look better. When the morning was come, the morning was the beginning of a new thing for the disciples. And Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not it was Jesus. Now, critics of the Bible will say, wait a minute. They spent three years with Jesus, and he's there on the shore, and they don't have a clue who he is? Come on, preacher. How's that even possible? Well, this morning when we were coming across the bridge, there was a haze over Coronado, and it was kind of hard to see, and it was foggy, and there's no way you could see real clearly. At least I couldn't. So maybe it was the haze. Maybe it was the dimness of the light, and it was still not bright enough to see. Maybe it was the distance they were from the shore from him. Maybe their eyes were not perfect. Maybe they were just not able to see real well. Maybe Jesus masked his own identity to keep them from knowing who he was for a time like he did the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Maybe that's what happened. But the certainty is this, they didn't recognize him. And so Jesus on the shore calls out, he says, children. Oh, that's kind of a weird thing to call a bunch of guys. Children, but the, of course, that's an English word. The Greek word was paideia. 
Paideia, a term of intimacy, was often used by a parent for their child, but it was also used uh, of leaders sometimes with their, with their followers, like their, fo- their children following the master. Paideia, have you any meat? Did you catch anything? And they answered no. And then look at verse 6. He said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find Now, why seasoned fishermen would follow the directions of an apparent stranger is not revealed to us. Perhaps there was something in the tone of his voice. I don't know. But in verse 6, the second part of the verse, they cast, therefore, the nets, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of the fishes. Seven men couldn't pull in the catch of fish. This would be his last miracle before the ascension. The last miracle. If I recall right, I believe John has seven miracles. I believe seven miracles that Christ performed. This will be his last one before the ascension. So what they discover in verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved. Anybody know who, when, when when this says the disciple whom Jesus loved, anybody know who he's talking about? John. Why? Why doesn't he call him by name? John's writing the gospel, and John's deferring to the others, and John's not being arrogant, and John's not being presumptuous. And so oftentimes, through the gospel of John, uh, he'll write of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, And the Bible says, therefore, John writing this on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. All of a sudden, it dawned on him. He had a revelation. I don't know if he could see clearly. I don't know if, if the haze was lifted. I don't know if, 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 if his eyes were just able to perceive or if God gave him that ability. He said, it's the Lord. And at this point, another contrast between the beloved disciple and Peter is introduced to the gospel. And there are several contrasts between John and the apostle Peter. Uh, it was the beloved disciple, John, who was nearest Jesus at the Lord's Supper. He, the Bible says he leaned on Jesus' breast. And, and it was he who met, mediated Peter's request for information in John chapter 13 at the Last Supper, uh, as, as Peter was questioning. It was also John who gained access into the court of the high priest that allowed him to be in the area where Jesus was being judged, and he was the one who arraigned for Peter arranged for Peter to enter in, John chapter 18. It was also John who was at the foot of the cross and had in his care the mother of Jesus and committed to her. It was John also who outraced the apostle Peter to the tomb, but he wouldn't go in the tomb when he heard that Jesus had raised from the dead, but he beat him to the tomb, and they both saw it was empty and believed. And now it's the beloved apostle who first recognizes Jesus as who he is, and exclaimed to Peter, it is the Lord. John was the seer, the man of faith. Peter was the doer, the man of action. And sometimes he did before he thought. Have you ever been there? Huh? Have you ever done before you really think about things? And Peter, was, he was good at that. Uh, and now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked. Most probably, not totally naked, that would have been offensive to any of the Jews, uh, but wearing 
probably only a loincloth as the fishermen were wont to do in that day. So he put on another cloak and, and, and he did cast himself into the sea in order to make his way to Jesus. And the other disciples came in a little ship for they were not far from land. But as it were 200 cubits, about 100 yards, about the length of a football field, dragging the net with the fish. In verse Another contrast, and I find this fascinating in, in verses 9, 10, and 11. As soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals and laid the fish thereon and the bread. When they arrived to the land, an important sight caught their attention, and that was a charcoal fire. And the Greek here is the uh, anthracian, anthracian, and it appears only two places in the entire Bible. One here, when they go to shore and Jesus is there and he's got a fire burning and they're going to roast some fish on it. And guess where the other place this word is found? Do you know? Huh? Moses. That'd be a great guess, but it was in the New Testament and it was when Jesus was at the fire of the enemy and denied the Lord. That's the only two places this word is found in the entire Bible. And so uh, both of them involve Peter. And the first forms a, a setting for Peter's denial, and the second for his restatement. The, the first concerns the darkness of an evil night, and the second, the morning of new possibilities. The contrast between the two. Peter denied the Lord three times at the first fire, and at the second fire, he affirms his love three times. Jesus said to them, bring the fish of which you now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. For there were so many, and yet was the net not broken. Now there are a lot of explanations why there were 153 fish. What a strange thing to record, 153 fish. Well, if you're a fisherman... That's not so strange because you count every single one you got, right? It's like, yeah, I want, I, I, I want you to know how many we had. But my favorite explanation was this was offered by a Greek zoologist uh, who said there were 153 species of fish in the lake uh, called, or the Sea of Galilee. 153 different species. And, and if that's the case, and I don't know, I'm not affirming it, it absolutely is, but if it is, then perhaps it symbolizes the fact that we're to be fishers of people of all nations. Every race, every nationality, everyone needs to hear the word of God. We see the contrasting drafts of fish. The first draft, Peter was commissioned to fish for men. <clears throat> be fishers of men. Don't, don't worry. Don't be afeard, afraid. Don't, don't be um, don't, don't worry about your, your unholiness. Stay close to me. Deny yourself, and I will make you fishers of men. In the second draft of fishes, he's, he's commanded to be a shepherd of the sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And, and the lack of holiness contrasted with the lack of love. At the first one, he was fearful because he was an unholy person in God's presence. In the second one, Jesus asked him three different times, do you love me? Jesus manifests his glory in the first one, and he manifests himself in the second. The first one was a, 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 a parable as well as a miracle. Visible church, good and bad. The, this is not a perfect church. We're not perfect people. This church can't be perfect, nor can any church be perfect until the people are perfect. And that's not going to happen until we're in the Lord's presence. 
So the first one was a parable as well as a miracle. Good and bad things happen. Nets break. Fish escape. We don't get them all brought to shore as we should. The second draft of fishes was a symbol. Depended on the Spirit's presence and power. And all of those elect were made it, made it to shore. Every single one of those fish made it to shore. So first draft, second draft. I got one more fish story and we're through. In Matthew 17, 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and says, does your master, does not your master pay tribute? Literally, your master does pay the temple tax, right? Your master does pay the temple tax. Now, it's significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, all males 20 years old and older were supposed to pay a, a temple tax. That was to maintain the temple and take care of it. But ordained rabbis were exempt from it. So I don't know if these people were here challenging the credentials of the Lord by saying, you do pay taxes, don't you? Because you're not really ordained, not formally speaking. Or if they were just inquiring, does he in fact pay the tax so that the temple can be maintained? This section, by some commentators, said this is one of the most difficult passages to, uh, to understand and explain uh, and in the light of certain details, but uh, Matthew's the one who records this, and isn't it interesting that Matthew worked for the IRS? <laughs> he was a tax collector, he, and so he, he, he points out this story about the tax. Uh, by the way, the amount of the tax was two days' wages, and it was for the upkeep of the temple. And by the way, <clears throat> the Israelites didn't mind paying this tax. They didn't like paying tribute to Caesar. Are we supposed to give to God or to Caesar? Remember they asked him that and testing him and trying him? Are we supposed to give the money? Are we supposed to give it to God or give it to, uh, to Caesar? And Jesus very, with, with wisdom, incredible wisdom, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. But nobody had trouble paying the tax for the temple if they were good Jews. So Jesus' question is this. When he came into the house, Jesus prevented him before he could speak. Jesus said, what are you thinking, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? When he's saying strangers, he means the ones that they have conquered. And Peter said unto him, of the conquered. And Jesus said unto him, then the children are free. He said, nevertheless, or notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go to the sea and cast a hook. Hey, wait a minute. The other two stories had to deal with nets, right? Now he's, now I can understand. I never fished with nets. I fished with hooks. Didn't catch anything, but I fished with hooks. And so he comes with a hook. He says, take a hook. And, uh, and he says, take up the fish. That first comes up, and when you've opened his mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it unto them for me and for you. So only a single fish was caught, so far as we know. He said the first one, and, and the miracle lined the fact that because of Jesus' foreknowledge, he knew the fish would be where the disciple would be, and he knew the fish would have a coin in its mouth, and you're saying, that's impossible. Sorry about your God not being able to do that. My God can do that. The God of the Bible can do that. He can, if he can arrange for a whole uh, school of fish to be uh, swimming up and heading for a disciple's net and fill it up, he can also arrange for one fish. By the way, it was not an uncommon thing I found in, in studying for this uh, that co coins would be found, silver coins would be found in the fish 
because they would strike at something shiny and something that attracted their attention. So uh, it kind of makes me want to go fishing again, uh, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Tax time's coming up, right? So, uh, but here's the point of this. Well, what is the point? Here's the point. In Psalm 8, 6, you gave them charge of everything you made, uh, everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. Jesus is control is in control of the great whites out here. He's in control of the dolphins. He's in control of the starfish. He's in control of the sea cucumbers. He's in control of the mackerel. He's in the control of all of it. He is the Lord of the sea. And guess what? The silver and gold belong to him too. You don't take it with you. They can put it in your coffin. You're never going to get to it. It ain't going to happen. So the silver and gold belongs to God. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. So the coin in view, uh, by the way, the coin that they used was a stator equivalent to four drachmas, which doesn't mean a thing to me, but it was enough to pay for the tax, the temple tax for two people. That's another miracle. It was the exact, it wasn't a half dollar, okay? It wasn't a silver dollar. It was exactly what they needed for the taxes for the temple tax for two people. So what's this all about? You know what? God knows all things. God can do all things. God controls all things. All things were made by him and for him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So these miracles teach us what? Teach us to be fishers of men. Have you been fishing for people Have you been casting the nets out where you work, where you live, your neighbors, your family? Have you been telling people they need to come to Christ? Have you been witnessing to them? Not only with your words, but with your actions, your attitudes. This is a great time if you're disappointed about something. This would be a great time to let the light of Christ shine through you. We're to be fishers of men. We're to be shepherds of sheep. We're to teach chronologically or otherwise the word of God. We're to preach the word of God. We're called to disciple, to to, to build people up, to lead them in the paths that they ought to walk. We're taught to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily. In all three of these miracles, we learn to obey him and that we are unworthy, and we are to learn to love people the way that Christ loves people, and we are to learn it costs us something. But folks, it is the best deal in the entire universe. It is worth every effort. It is worth anything and everything that we think we lose by giving up. It is everything to follow the Lord. Jesus is in control of it all. So fish for people, then shepherd them. Don't be afraid. Love casts out fear. God owns the fish, the silver, the gold. He made everything. Everything is made for his glory. So we have no reason to be depressed. We have no reason to be discouraged. We have no reason to be mean, spiteful. We have no reason to do anything other than to trust almighty God for every need we have. Personally, as a nation, and as a world. Would you bow your heads with me? 
I wonder if you're here this morning and you're not really sure you're born again. I wonder if you're not sure that if you died today, you'd be in heaven tonight. Let me tell you what I told the kids, the, the blessings of God for eternity. Oh, my goodness. They're amazing. They're wonderful. And guess what? The blessings of knowing Christ don't wait until you're dead to start. They start right now. They start right now. Do you know for sure you're saved? If you don't, would you let me pray for you? Is there anyone here who would say, preacher, I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I'm just going to be honest with you. Would you raise your hand up real high and hold it up for just a moment, okay? Hold it up. No one's looking. I'm looking, but just hold it up for a minute. I want to pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. As far as I know, as far as I know, I don't see any hands. So far as I know, we're all saved. How many of us are fishing for men? How many of us are shepherding? How many of us realize that everything belongs to him? How many of us rest? How many of us can close our eyes tonight and sleep knowing God is in control? Because he is. If God wants you to be a member here, would you please let me know? There are cards in the seat back so you can fill that out and say, I'd like to become a member. If you want to be baptized, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior but never have been baptized, we'd love to take care of that. We can do that at any time. If you have some other questions, something we can help with, let us know. Father in heaven, I pray for this congregation of people here today. I pray, God, that we would be open and honest with you. We would seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I pray that you would help us be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. I pray that you'd help us to shine the light of the gospel into lives of people who don't have any hope apart from him. And I pray, God, that you would use this church and these people in the way that you would see fit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As we stand together, praise team's going to sing a song. And as they sing, I'm going to be right down here. If you have a spiritual need, you want someone to pray for you, you need something I can help you with, you want to be saved, you want to join the church, you want to be baptized or just have prayer, whatever it is, I'm going to be here. My wife's over here. Rachel, raise your hand. She's right in the middle if you need to talk with her. David, raise your hand right over here. Yeah, guys, if you're back that way and you want to talk to someone, John's in the very back. Raise your hand, John. God bless you. And let's, as they sing, you come ahead and do what God wants you to do right now. Come on. I see the
I want to say special congratulations to Stacy for winning the school board elections. Uh, God bless you. We are thankful. Any opportunity we have to have light and salt in strategic places, we thank God for it. And a lot of, a lot of what goes arise because early on children are introduced to hurtful and wrong philosophies of life. And so thank you for being willing to serve and to pray for her family, too, that, uh, uh, that during this time that uh, they would uphold her in prayer. Father, go with us from this place today. Lord, show us the next step. Show us where you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God, oh, wait, I forgot something, boys and girls. I forgot. I would have had to eat all these fish, all these goldfish myself. We have, for every boy and girl here, every one of you guys, we have about 20 different kinds of goldfish. <laughs> A multitude, a draft of fishes. So all you boys and girls, come up here and get them right after church. Here we go. All right, right there. Pick one. All right. Yeah, come on.